I am always taken by the, what I will refer to as the empirical consistency of the Bible, written over a span of many, many years, composed and written, God wrote through uh, a large number of people living in different cultures at different times, and yet... It is a book that is unlike other uh, books of religions that in, in most cases was written by one man. So consistency is, is a different issue when it comes to the Bible. To be consistent over so many years of, and so many people is uh, quite stunning. From the very beginning of the Bible to the end of the Bible, and which takes us to the destination that we've just sung about, to heaven's shores. It is the destination that, that Christ has intended for us, a, a destination that he has designed us to experience, heaven's shores. And today, we look at the, the soundbite of simplicity that is found in the Scripture. We live in a culture that we're inundated by information, by lines and lines of data and sound bites, and whether you're a, a internet news junkie or you're, you watch TV or you listen to the radio, uh, you listen to podcasts, to music, where with technology these days, there's just a permeation of information. And for that reason, it is important for us to say, what is the sound bite of the heart and the core of the scripture? What is it, even though it is it is, uh, uh, I, that, did that throw you off right there? I, I thought I saw a bright light, man. I thought, here we go. <laughs> I was ready, man. <laughs> I'm glad you saw it. <laughs> Always glad when another person sees it. <laughs> Good morning. My name is Steve McCoy. I'm The destination that God has in place for us, there is a, a direct strategy that God put in place. And that strategy can come down to a very simple soundbite, not to, not to water down the profound sophistication that is found in this book. Very profound. Things that we'll never understand on this side of eternity. But God wants the message, the map from here to there to be understandable. Otherwise, God would be unfair. God wants the message to be simple, easy to grasp so that we all get it. And that message begins in the very early pages of the scripture. And the empirical consistency is stunning. That he puts forth in this book. I'm assuming that we all know the story of Adam and Eve. And where all things began in, in, in the human race as we understand from a worldview of a, of, a, a biblical worldview. And it began with, with Adam and Eve. And it began in a perfect environment in a garden called Eden. And in that garden, the interaction that God had with human beings was unlimited, uninhibited. It was open. It was free. There was 
no separation between God and human beings. And then as we know, it only took two short chapters for Adam and Eve to disobey what God has said. It's a profound intersection that had implications that Adam and Eve had no idea about. They disobeyed God, Eve first and then Adam. In fact, Eve disobeyed God, Adam obeyed his wife. Now, that might seem funny, but it's not. And it's still not, by the way. And it still happens quite a bit. We are told to obey God alone, not our wives, not our children, not our husbands. That's another sermon for another day. But in that moment, the implications were nuclear and they are profound and they're mysterious. And there are a lot of layers to Adam's disobedience. We lay that out from time to time. But what happened in that moment above all things is that human beings now did not live in an existence with a God that was unseparated. Now there was a separation that was automatically and immediately ushered in. It is that separation that we still experience that we come in with a dilemma of being separate from God. We know it. We've known it throughout our lives that 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 uh, as we're growing up, we there's something off. It's called sin in our lives. It's a word that is avoided at all costs in our culture for some reason. It's, we're too afraid we're going to offend people by by using this, the S word, the sin word. And but but all of us uh, have experienced it firsthand and within our skin. Some people say, oh, I'm not sure we're all sinners. You have read the headlines this morning, have you not? And if you don't think, well, I'm not as bad as ISIS and I'm not as bad as those who are killing other people and I haven't stolen all this stuff, then you have looked in the mirror with an honest look, right? You do know you're imperfect. And where did that come from? There has to be an origin to everything. And imperfection did not come from God. It came from Adam. And mysteriously and beyond our comprehension and, our, and the ability to explain it, each of us is infused with the infection of a sinful nature. And we are separated by that uh, from God. So right in the garden, we get a picture and the sound bite starts right there in that moment and the solution uh, uh, starts right in that moment and it flows through the scripture in a stunning, consistent way. In that garden that day, when Adam and Eve were there, they were separated by God. And listen, no one had to tell them. No one had to tell them. They didn't get an email. They didn't get a memo. They, there was not an announcement speaker system in the garden that day. You are now separated from God. How do I know that? Because before God walked in the garden that day, they were already hiding and they already took, uh, uh, took some seamstress skill classes and sewed together some fig leaves. Before God came into their presence, there was a, an, a, 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 a profound moment of, uh-oh, Something is wrong. Something is off. And in that moment, here's what we see. We see the beginning of religion. It was the religion of the fig leaf. What do I mean by that? In that moment, they recognized they were exposed. They were naked. They were before God. They were sinners. 
And in their own effort, they said to themselves, I must take care of this predicament on my own. I must, we must hide. God's coming. So we we, got to cover ourselves because we're exposed. So we'll hide. And then I know he's going to call us out. So because we're exposed, we'll take it things into our own hands and we'll create fig leaves to cover our exposure, our sin. The same thing is true for today as it was in 1200 AD, 1200 BC, and all the way back to the garden that that our own efforts of fig leaves will always be scant. They will never be enough to cover to ourselves. They will never be enough to completely clothe ourselves so that we can be in the presence of God. So we see the predicament of religion starting there. Every, listen, every single religion on earth is the religion of the fig leaf. We have uh, different names for the fig leaf. Sometimes it's karma. Sometimes it's re- reincarnation. Sometimes it's it's uh, 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 nirvana. Sometimes it's working ourselves and sacrificing ourselves so that perhaps we can be in paradise. They're all human effort to take care of the predicament that we're separated from God. And if I do enough, and if I sow enough fig leaves, that maybe I can cover my entire self, and maybe I can arrive on heaven's shore, but I will never, with the fig leaf mentality, have the assurance that my fig leaves are good enough, that all parts are covered. That's the predicament. We find this written all throughout Scripture. Isaiah tells us this in Isaiah chapter 64. He says, all of us have become like one who is unclean. It is the predicament. See, so often we're afraid that we're going to offend someone by saying, you like me, I'm a sinner. What, what you're involved in, you're, what, what, you, just by nature, you're, you're a sinner. And the reason you're sinning, you're not a sinner because you're sinning. The reason you're sinning, by the way, is because you're a sinner. It's an infection that we all share. Isaiah got it hundreds and hundreds of years ago, and it's traced back to the garden. He says, all of us have become like one who is unclean. And all of our righteous acts, all of the good things, all of the things we're trying to, you know, outweigh the bad things with the good things. I talk to people all the time that says, well, when I get to heaven, sure, what I'm counting on, the fig leaf that I'm counting on to cover me is that my good things will outweigh the bad things, and it is never found in God's Word ever, not even a sniff of it. In fact, it's the opposite, that all those good things, if we're trying to cover ourselves with them, the righteous acts are like filthy clothes. They're like filthy rags where we will all shrivel up and uh, as a leaf, and like the wind, will, our sins will sweep us away to another location. That's the predicament. In that same moment in the garden, we get the marvelous solution. You see, religion says, sow enough, work enough, have enough righteous acts. And then by human effort, maybe, just maybe, and that's the key word, just maybe, you'll never know on this side of eternity, just maybe, maybe your fig leaf will be good enough to get you Across the threshold of heaven's shores. But God wants us to be in his presence 
more than we want to be in His presence. And right from the beginning, I am so thankful that we don't, we're not reading along in Genesis 3. And here's what we read. That Adam sowed a fig leaf or two. And they started feeling good about it. I'm like, hey, you know, that's kind of covering me up. I think I'll make like a, a whole like sweater of fig leaves. And I'm like, man, I got, I got the upper half covered. I'm pretty good. You know what I'm going to do? I'm going to make fig leaf socks. I'm going to put some fig leaf socks on. I'm starting to feel. And, and what if we read that after a lot of effort, after blowing it, but he did 700 years of good things, that he finally won God's favor. And then after he won God's favor, then God was willing to show up in the garden. Is there anybody that's thankful that the story doesn't go out like that? I am. Because then I would think, oh, gee whiz. I had 700 years of good stuff. I can, I can, what is the balance? Do I get in with a C minus? Do I get in with, with an, an F plus? I mean, does it have to be a solid F? I mean, where is the line? Wouldn't you hate to live wondering since once we cross that threshold, eternity will be forever? I'm glad the story doesn't happen that way. The solution. The solution, beginning in Genesis 3, is the same for every page of the Bible. And the solution is this. You cannot clothe yourselves in order to be in the presence of God. But God came running toward Adam that day with clothing of his own. See, Adam was hiding and God came in the garden he already knew what had happened. He slaughtered an animal. A life was taken for a life. Instead of killing Adam, God killed a soulless animal, took that life, shed that blood, took that skin on. And I believe that Adam was still hiding and God could not come into his presence because he was not covered yet. And I believe that God walked up and was still covered by the bush. And without seeing, I believe that he wrapped that garment around him and he remained covered. And when he was covered by the clothing that God provided, because God wanted the presence, to have them in the presence at that moment, then they could be connected again. It is the same story that runs all through the Bible. God is running for you with clothing because you're naked in sin. Same story. It is the story of Jesus Christ. It is the story that is all throughout the Old Testament. You might remember Jacob. He was looking for God. He was running from his brother. He landed at a place called Bethel. And at Bethel, you might remember Jacob's ladder. You might remember that there was a connection piece between heaven and earth. I'll say one more time if you don't get tired of hearing me say it. This book is a picture book. And the things that happened in the Old Testament were pictures of what was to come. Over and over and over and over. And that picture in the garden is the picture of the solution to sin. That we can't clothe ourselves and God came in and says, I'm going to give to you. I'm going to pursue you and give to you a new set of clothing. My clothing, God clothing, clean clothing, the garment the, uh, uh, the, of, of forgiveness and salvation so that you and I can have this thing going on. Don't even try to work for it. Don't even try to, to, to sow the fig leaves. So Jacob has this intersection with God between heaven and earth. Later, 
God says, now I, I need you to go mend the fence with your brother Esau. But before you do, I want you to go back to Bethel. And I want you to meet with me one more time. Watch what happens. Genesis chapter 35. Genesis chapter 35. Then God said to Jacob, I want you to go up to Bethel. Now the name Bethel means this, house of God. House of God. Jacob, I want you not only to go up to the house of God, but I want you to settle there. You see, God, I'm telling you over and over and over and over, he says, I've got a destination. It's God's house. It's heaven's shores. It's the kingdom of heaven. Different names for it. And I want you to settle there. Now, I want you to build an altar to the God, to, there to God who appeared to you when you were fleeing from your brother Esau. So Jacob said, okay. And he says to his whole family, his household, and to every person who was with him, two things. One, number one, get rid of your foreign gods and, and that you have with you. You got to turn from this. You got to be willing to say, okay, I, I got it. This is not getting me where I'm, I'm, I need to be. I'm separate from God. So my job is to, to, to turn like this. I'm going to go away from it. This is where most religions stop. You got to, if this were a religion today, I would be saying, you got to stop. You got to stop that. Because if you don't stop that, you ain't getting in. You, you got to work harder at stopping that. And, and you got to turn. And, and, and if you don't turn, you're going to burn. And you got to, you know, uh, do this and do that and stop doing this and stop doing that. And maybe you'll get in heaven's shores. That's religion. But there's a second part here that we can't miss that's consistent throughout the scriptures. Get rid of your foreign gods, Jacob is telling everybody, and purify yourselves and change your clothes. Now, here's what I find fascinating about this. In Exodus chapter 3, God met with Moses and eventually called Moses up to the mountain, and he gave Moses what we call the law. Now, the law was all the rules and regulations. The Israelites began, as many people know here, they began to, to travel around for 40 years, and they created a house of God, a worship place for God. We find out in the New Testament the dimensions and everything. It was a picture of what's to come. It is mind-blowing. But they built this uh, tabernacle that was um, uh, temporary and then eventually a temple. In that tabernacle and temple, there was a place called the Holy of Holies. It's only where the high priest could go. And when these priests went in to the house of God to interact with God, they had to put on a certain amount of absolutely clean clothes. Why? Were the, were the clothes, was that what was clean? No. For hundreds of years, they were sending a message to the world. The clothing is a picture of what uh, that's playing in to being able to go into this, this very private uh, uh, interaction with God. You got to put on clothes. What I find fascinating is that Genesis 35, if you didn't notice, is before Exodus. Before there was any law, how in the world did Jacob, without any law, any rules or regs, no tablets, no, no none of that, before all that came, here's Jacob, and he knew to t turn to his family and say, hey, you got to turn from that stuff, but we got to change our clothes. D does anybody find that fascinating? Is that the most fascinating thing you've heard all week? Huh? 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 
Not sure most of you do, but that's okay. It is fascinating. It's the same thing when people say, you know, I don't tithe because, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's in the law. No, 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 it didn't start there. It started in Genesis 4 when Abel brought the best of the best of the best because he had some interaction with God, and that's how you show it. That's the same thing as Abraham. Here, take 10%. Same thing with this Jacob. Hey, here's 10%. That's before the law ever came. Hey, uh, family, we got to change our clothes because we're going to go into the presence of God. They knew it because it was set in place in the Garden of Eden. What the case I'm trying to lay for you is the consistency that everyone knew that clothing was playing a role in being able to meet with God. Maybe you're not convinced. Do you remember the story of the prodigal son? The prodigal son turns to the father and says, I'm out. I'm out. I'm going to separate myself from you. He went away. He blew it. Blew the whole inheritance. And then in that moment, he realized, oh boy, I am so, I am so off here. And my life is headed south. I've got to go back to my father. And in that moment, he began to rehearse religion. And all the way back, I can hear him, can't you? Okay, uh, Dad, I, I blew it. I'm not worthy to be called your son. And I'll work for it. I'll work for it because I really blew it. I'll, I'll just become a servant. I'll become a hired hand and I'll work for it. I'll work, I'll work for it. Let's see, should I start with that or should I start? And, I'm real, and I got this, just this pacing. You see, religion is pacing. Like, you know, when I get there, when I get home, when I cross the threshold of heaven's shores and I see my dad, man, I, I'm a little nervous about it. Could you tell? And, 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 uh, and I'll do anything to earn Man, I gotta sow a lot of fig leaves. That's what the prodigal is saying. Man, I gotta. Can you imagine the shock on this boy's face when he saw, like Adam did, his father running towards him? The consistency of the pursuit of God is is stunning. That only turning back to the Father is one point. And when he got home and he crossed over that horizon and he saw Dad running toward him, Dad was not empty-handed. He said, oh, let me come here. Let me embrace you and kiss you and, and hug you. This is the passion of God. And then you know what he says? Let's get some new clothing on this boy. I want you to wrap the best robe around him. Genesis 3, Genesis chapter 35 Isaiah chapter 61, Isaiah chapter 64, Luke chapter 15. The consistency is empirical. Are you clothed today? Let me qualify that question. The clothing that Christ offers to us is something that we cannot change and make ourselves. Galatians chapter 3, Paul tells us exactly what it is. For those of you that have turned and embraced Christ. We are told in Galatians chapter 3 verse 26. You are all sons and daughters of God. Through faith in Christ Jesus. I've reached out and I've said. God I, I can't sow it on my own. I can't cover my sin anymore. I can't have. I, there's not enough muscle in my humanity. That I can make myself right before you. So in faith, we've reached out to Christ 
For all of you who were baptized into Christ have clothed yourself with Christ. Jesus died for our sins. You've heard it even if you're not a Christian. What that means is like in the garden, God took a life instead of your life. He took a life in that garden instead of uh, uh, Adam's life. He shed blood instead of Adam's blood. Christ, that was a picture of what was to come. That God came running toward the planet in the, in, in the person of Jesus Christ. He died for us so that we would not have to die. And when we say by faith, God... I need that clothing of Christ to wrap myself in his righteousness, not mine. That means because I'm covered. When I cross the threshold of heaven's shores, it's not Steve McCoy showing up. It's Steve McCoy wrapped in the garments and the clothing and the righteousness of God. So that when he looks at me, Mr. Moron, he sees Mr. Moron cleaned up. That's why Isaiah said this. I delight greatly in the Lord. You better believe he does. Why? He says, I delight greatly in the Lord. My soul rejoices in my God, for he has clothed me with garments of salvation. There it is again. And arrayed me in a robe of righteousness as a bridegroom adorns his head like a priest and as a bride adorns herself with jewels, there should never be a worship pastor that has to, to do a pep rally in order to get clothed Christians to, to lift their voices, to clap their hands, to lift their hands, because you're clothed in Christ. And like Isaiah says, I will rejoice. I will delight greatly. In other words, I can't help myself try to keep my hands down. I cannot because I was naked. I was in sin and Christ has clothed me. I will praise him. That's what Isaiah is saying. For a worship pastor to say, come on, everybody. Oh, my goodness. It must be heartbreaking to God, the one that ran to the garden of the planet Earth to save us. Jesus, in this imagery that Isaiah uses as a, as a bride and a bridegroom, tells a story. And this story brings us back to the topic of silence. We have seen through this collection that there are times where it is appropriate to be silent, to bring peace, to, to, to have that silence, to have the silence, to, to silence our voice and the busyness so that we can listen to God. There are times, as, as, as uh, Solomon wrote, a time to speak, a time to be silent. Today, we're going to see a silence of titanic proportions. I, I, and I, and I, I wrestle with the words. Because there is no phrase or word that captures. The sobering, monumental, epic nature of this silence. There is not a word. And Jesus begins by telling a story about a, a wedding party, we would call it, a reception, a banquet is called in the story. And this story is he's likening the, the kingdom of heaven. He said, I'm going to tell you a story. See, I, I, I'm guaranteed, as I've said before, that if Jesus were here today, he'd be talking about Starbucks and, and gigabytes. He goes, you guys know gigabytes, right? Okay, well, let me, 
And that day, everybody understood how a wedding went. You see, in our culture, you have a wedding. It lasts anywhere between 12 minutes and an hour at the outside. And then you do a reception, and that lasts, you know, three to five hours. And, you know, you got cake and punch, and, you know, you're going to do a little dancing, make yourself look crazy on the dance floor, and then head on home. In the Jewish culture, to which Jesus was speaking, the wedding reception lasted a week, an entire week. That's why I've decided to become a wedding crasher and move to Israel. That's, that's going to be my profession. Wouldn't that be cool? Just week by week, we're just going to crash wedding reception. It lasted an entire week. And everybody knew how important this was because the father of the son was putting on this wedding reception that was massive. And it would be offensive if I, if the father invited somebody and yet they turned him down. Jesus begins the story in Matthew chapter 22. If you have your Bible, you want to turn there with me. He's telling a story as he would a metaphor. And he's this, he's saying this is an illustration, a picture. He's such an artist. He has been from the, from the very beginning. Let me paint you a picture because, because I want you to get it. And I want you to be with me. What was broken in Eden, Jesus would say, I'm trying to fix. Because there's something hugely broken and I'm trying to fix it. So let me tell you something you'd understand. So guys, you guys all understand a a, a wedding and the Jewish tradition. And they were like, okay, yeah, he's talking to his disciples. Yep, got it. And so he begins in Matthew chapter 22 and verse 2. And he says, the kingdom of heaven... Eternity's shores is like a king who prepared a wedding banquet for his son. Now, as you read the story, it's not really about a wedding. That's not the core purpose of what he's saying. It's really not about the music. It's not about the attendees. It's not about the people that turned him down because the story goes on and say he offered the invitation to a lot of different people. They turned him down. Some people said not going. Some people said don't like you. Some people said, hey, I'm too busy. Just like God, you know, throughout the ages, God has offered the invitation. Please come. Please come. There's going to be an amazing banquet. There's going to be amazing reception. It's not going to last a week. It's going to last longer than your little brain can can comprehend. But come, come on, come on. This is God. It started back in Genesis 3. Come on, I love you. I want to be together with you forever and ever and ever. Come on, come on, come on. I want you to come. And people all through the ages said, no thanks, no thanks. But for those who did, he begins to address them. So this story is not about those who turned them down and those who came and those who did and those who... This story is about clothing. Consistent with Genesis 33, Genesis 35, Isaiah 61, Luke 15. There it is again. It's about clothing. And in this moment, there is, Jesus is trying to paint a picture of this silence of titanic proportions. He's trying to say, guys, the kingdom of heaven He doesn't say it might be like this. He says the kingdom of heaven will be like this. And so he gets to the point of the story that the father who invited everybody to this wedding reception, he walks into the party. And in verse 11, he says this name. When the king came in to see his guest, 
You know, the music's playing. People are chattering. People are drinking, you know, punch and, and whatnot. I mean, it's kind of loud. It's, people are having a blast. And the king walks in. Everybody's kind of like, oh, they're where the king walked in, you know. But they're still going. They're, they're still having fun. The string quartet's still playing Mozart over there in the corner. And, they're, you know, the, the place is hopping. And so but the king walks in. So everybody's kind of, they're still going, but it, it's still going. And, 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 but they, they're kind of taking note. And the king comes in to see his guests. And he notices a man who was not wearing the wedding clothes. Now, all the disciples knew this. Jesus, with these 12, would say, okay, show of hands. Everybody know what to, 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 to show up to a wedding? You, you know what to wear, right? Everybody knows? And everybody was like, sure, yeah, you, you got to wear the wedding clothes. you got to have the appropriate clothes in order to get in to the banquet. So Jesus is hitting them right where they, right where they live. Because these guys have been to a lot of wedding re- receptions, I'm sure. And he looks at this guy who's not wearing the appropriate clothes. And he says, friend, he probably raises his voice a little bit. The violinist in the string quartet, she drops her bow. The music kind of starts dwindling out. He says, friend, how did you get in here? And all of a sudden, the chatter just stops. It's an E.F. Hutton moment. The king says, how did you get in here without... There it is again, the right clothing. It's not about you worked hard enough to get here. It's not a C minus or a B plus or a D minus. It's check yes or check no. Do you have the right clothes on or do you not? Jesus is saying the kingdom of heaven will be exactly like this picture. How did you get in here without the right clothing? And in that moment... In that moment when those without the the clothing of righteousness, the garment of salvation, when they stand before God, they will have the exact same response as this man. The man was speechless, silent. How did you get in here without the right clothing? And his response Silence. I'll never forget my third grade teacher. She was quite unpleasant. I'm being nice. She was mean. I can't remember all my teachers' names, but I remember Miss McClarity, my third grade teacher. There was a kid that brought to our class, a little show-and-tell thing. It was from a curtain apparatus or something. It was like a little pulley that you could have two little wheels on it. And, and I thought it was cool. In fact, I thought it was so cool that I stole it from the kid. Do you know how weird it is to confess these things when your mom is only sitting for them? Or And Ms. McClarity, who had the proverbial eyes in the back of her head, somehow got the intel that I was a thief. And I didn't know that she knew. And so about midway through the day, I had planted that little pulley thing in my pocket. Steve McCoy, here, sitting at the back of the class, I need you to come forward 
in front of the class. That teacher. She said, um, Steve, do you have anything that doesn't belong to you? Mm-mm. You know, it's got to be written all over a third grader's face. You can read it from 14 miles away. Mm-mm. Steve, I'm going to ask you one more time. In front of everybody, a boy in third grade, torture. Do you have anything that doesn't belong to you? No, I, I, I don't. She goes, well, what I'd like you to do is reach in your pocket and uh, pull them inside out. I'm like, how does this woman know these things? I still hate her. I'm just kidding. So I reached in my pocket, and of course, there it was, and I, and I pulled my hand out empty-handed, and I said, you know, these pockets, it's kind of weird. They're sewn in, and they don't pull inside out. And she said, well, let me take care of that for you, and she reached that old 119-year-old hand down in my pocket, <laughs> and she pulled it out, and she held it in front of the class. And you know what I said? Nothing. I had nothing to say. It was clearly out. That is the moment. That is the moment. There is no argument. There is no religion. There's no fig leaf. There's no logic. There's no weaseling. There's no karma. There is no reincarnation. There is no effort. There is nothing. Only the clothing of Christ allows us to cross the threshold of heaven. That's it. That is it and only it and only and has never been nothing but it since day one and when Adam and Eve blew it. For those who are trying, they also will become silent. Paul said in Romans chapter 3, now we know whatever the law says. In other words, if you're trying to get there by obeying rules and regulations, it speaks to those who under the law. In other words, you want to try it that way, go ahead and try it that way because the revelation, we're, we're told that you'll be held to those who try to get there by works. Well, good luck because you're going to be held to that, that, that standard right there because you're not going to make it. So that every mouth may be closed and the whole world may become accountable to God. You see, in the scripture, silence is one of those moments where it's like, Koosh! and it and it represents for us something extremely sobering. In that moment, for all those who have tried to reach heaven's shores by sowing fig leaves together through the act of human effort, they will stand there with no answer. And as Paul said, their mouth will be closed because there is no reasoning at that point. It's too late. In the book of Revelation... There are, there are seals that are broken. Like on a, a scroll, the seals are broken, the scrolls are open. There's seven of them. There's seven trumpets, there's seven bowls, there's seven, there's seven uh, angels, and they're, and, they're, and they're all representative. In fact, the story actually keeps repeating itself over with different angles. It's mind-blowing, as, as you know, the book of Revelation. But it's painting pictures again, and John was transported, and he saw. And when, when the seals are broken... All hell is breaking loose on earth. 
Armageddon, the end of time, earthquakes, seals are open, famine covers the, covers the earth, uh, uh, earthquakes, fires coming from heaven, diseases. I mean, every seal is like, oh my, my goodness. And finally, the seventh seal is broken. Christ is the only one worthy to break the seal. And he comes in this very intense moment and he breaks the seventh seal. I mean, it sounds like a Hollywood movie, but Hollywood movies are made from this, not the other way around, by the way. And Christ walks up and breaks the seventh seal. You know what happens when the seventh seal is broken? Are you ready for this? Check this out. Ready for your mind to be blown? Revelation chapter 8 verse 1. When the Lamb, Christ, broke the seventh seal, there was silence in heaven for about a half an hour. Wah! I mean, they're like, praise and worship. Seventh seal broken. Now, what's crazy is that John is transported into a timeless eternity, and yet he's using time and a timeless eternity to, to explain to us, dude, it was, a, it was a silence that was articulated, accentuated in that moment. In other words, this is not a moment. Listen so carefully for those of you that are, have blocked out through your logic, through your fear, through your pride, and an acceptance of Christ in that moment. It's so sobering that the silence will, will scream. Because heaven will be silent at that moment. I'm reminded in the book of Hebrews chapter 10 and verse 31. That it is a dreadful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. Without the clothing of Christ. Now this is heavy is it not? But I'm assuming you don't want the TV preacher that's just talking about how your life can be better right here on earth like going to a Starbucks and ordering a Vente. This is truth. And this will happen. It's inevitable. We cannot water down the reality of the scriptures or else above all creatures on this planet, we are reckless. Your friend has cancer. Might be offensive if I bring it up to him. Really? Really? Think about that. Think about that. Well, gosh, Steve, I wish you weren't talking about, about this issue because it's heavy duty, man. Well, see, here's the deal. Unless we recognize the predicament, we'll never embrace the solution. Unless you tell me I've got cancer... I'm not going to go to an oncologist. And to hide truths, as so many feel the audacity to today, the audacity to choose, pick and choose what we're going to speak of from the Scripture is absolutely, insanely reckless. So we must face this moment of silence. Now, this is heavy, is it not? I got to go heavier for just a second, and then we'll pull the we'll pull the the stick back and put the throttle on. We'll we'll elevate out of this very heavy place, but we must go here. The silence of that moment when people realize that they're unclothed is epic. It's titanic. I'm I'm immense. I, I I'm searching for English words that capture that that moment, but it's. It's a comparison to a thimble to the Pacific Ocean as to what's going to come. 
the silence that's going to come. What do you mean by that? I mean for those who stand before Christ without the clothing of righteousness that He provides, by the way, and by faith we just take it on. It's all we do. God, I, I received Your robe of righteousness. I received the sacrifice of Christ. Without that righteous robe on, then that person will be sent to an eternity away from God for 10 million upon 10 million upon 10 million upon 10 million of years with no end. Isaiah, or Samuel, uh, describes it this way. 1 Samuel chapter 2. God will guard the feet of His saints, those who have the robe on. Not because they're better people, by the way. Not because they're better people. I know people that are better than me that do not wear the robe. They have better character. They have better temperance. They have better uh, knowledge. They have better wisdom. They have better reaction. Not not the case. We're not talking about I'm, I'm a better person. I'm a sinner who's robed in the righteousness of Christ. So saints are those people. God will guard the feet of his saints. But the wicked will be silenced in darkness. You ever seen one of those movies where they're burying somebody alive and they put them in a coffin. They got like a little Bic lighter and they light it. I, I, I can't hardly watch those moments. I'm telling you, in a movie, I've seen it a few times. Have you? And, and you watch it, and I just, there's something in me like, oh, my, my goodness, don't let me ever die like that. I think I would just catch myself on fire or something with a big lighter or something. I don't know. But just the entrapment to be enclosed in that darkness forever, to be silenced in darkness I cannot humanly understand it or articulate it to you, the depth of that silence. And it's heavy, and I truly would much rather be talking about something else, but I'm not allowed to by the grip of God, of being honest with you. Psalm 115 verse 17 says, It is not the dead who praise the Lord, those who go down to silence. And the reason that none of us get on a high horse and throw rocks at other people is that we remind ourselves like Adam and like the prodigal son is that that we we rehearsed on the way to God, but it is God who ran toward us with the garment. It is not of our making the garment. It is of God's making the garment. That garment is sown with Christ's blood, the only pure substance of the solution to this predicament. Tens of billions of dollars are spent every year on this solution to HIV AIDS, of the solution to cancer as it should be. But very little human people in the population have put much effort into the predicament and the disease of sin. And Christ comes along and says, I have the solution. And you reach out by faith and you clothe yourself with the blood of Christ so that you can cross the threshold of heaven. And you can say, I'm clean, not because of what I've done, because of God's doing. And that is why in Psalm 94, verse 17, unless the Lord had given me clothing, unless the Lord had given me help, I too would soon have dwelt in the silence of death. 
That is why you will not be able to hold my hand down during worship. That is why my 10-year-old stood beside me today with his hand raised high with mine because my little brother in Christ is clothed with righteousness and he too will cross the threshold of faith. Way to go, man. Not because he was good enough. Not because he was good enough. Back to Psalm 115, verse 17, we saw that it is not the dead who praise the Lord, those who go down to silence, but it is we who should extol the Lord, not just in heaven, but now. So what that says in Hebrew is, let it rip, be happy. And by the way, what was that you were upset about last week? Oh, for heaven's sakes. It's like that teeny minuscule in light of We've got a job to do. We've got a world around us dying from the cancer of sin. And they will end up in the silence of darkness. Let's get going and get over ourselves and get to work. We've got a God with garments in his hand. And he can't wait to run into the garden. Oh my goodness. And it will be worth every pain. John was transported into heaven. And he saw this body of, of people who, had, who were, had been clothed by Christ and had worked through the, the awfulness of the tribulation. Watch this. Revelation chapter 7. Now, you know, honestly, I, I can't stand the Bible on tape. I, I, I just can't. It's too calm for me. And it's always got a British accent. I, I just don't get that, you know. I like like a country western version. Wouldn't that be cool? And after this, they look before him. You know, that, I think that would I could relate to that. I grew up in Virginia, for heaven's sakes. But it's always the British guy, and he's always so calm. I'm like, dude, get excited about something. And you know, he goes, after I looked at this, and there before me, it was a great multitude. I mean, really, you think John said it that way? Honestly, this dude was tripping. He was, he, you know, he, he was transported into heaven. I believe he talked like this. And then I looked and I saw, and I, you know, it's not, it's not calm. Honestly, you wouldn't be calm, would you? If you saw, watch Revelation chapter seven, verse nine. Look, he, I, 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 I got to reenact it. I believe John was like, and after this, because he just seen some mind blowing things that there before you was a great multitude that no one could count. I'm telling you, they were from every nation, every single nation. They were there. Every tribe, every people, every language standing before the throne in front of the lamb. I saw the lamb and they were wearing. There it is again. From Genesis three to Revelation, they were wearing white robes. Thank God it didn't say and they were good enough. And their fig leaf was glowing. It's about being clothed or not. And there they were wearing white robes and holding palm branches in their hands. And they cried out, we well know we get no credit. Salvation belongs to the God who ran in our garden with clothing. Salvation belongs to our God and to him who sits on the throne. Let me be specific. The Lamb of God, King of Kings, Alpha and Omega, beginning and end. His name is Jesus Christ, the only one who's got the clothing. And then one of the elders asked, hey, John, 
These in white robes, who are they? Where do they come from? I said, sir, you already know that. You're just testing me. And he said, these are those who have come out of the great tribulation. And they have washed their clothing, their robes, and they have made them white in the blood of the Lamb, the only solution to the predicament of sin on every page of the Scripture, empirical consistency. Wow. Wow. All right. Before I let you go or pass out, whichever comes first, there is a silence also for us. Now, some of you are thinking, rut row. It's a wonderful silence. For those of us who are clothed, which allows us to cross the threshold of the shores of eternity. There is also a titanic, epic, monumental silence. Revelation chapter 21, the next to the last verse, uh, chapter. Revelation chapter 21 and verse 4. Every tear will be silenced. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death. Death for us will be silenced. There will be no more mourning. Mourning will be silenced. And the mourning that we experience on this earth, it will will be silenced and it will be gone. And those who cry, it will be silenced. And every pain that we've ever had, it will be silenced. And as I said in the earlier service, Mom, I can't wait to see you there. A woman that lives with intense pain most every hour of every day because of the car accident she was in with my father who we lost. No more death. No more pain. And when I see that woman in heaven with no pain, I will tell you, I will be the berserk one dancing around at the wedding party. All silenced. This is our destination No longer in Revelation chapter 22, the very last chapter, from beginning to end, the consistency is stunning. Revelation 22 verse 3, no longer, are you ready? Will there be any curse? The curse that started this whole mess in Genesis 3, God said, silence, no more curse. And if that doesn't make you happy... Go blow up some more birthday balloons because you need the light in your head. No more curse. No more curse. It's the thing. It's like a chihuahua, isn't it? That just grabs onto your grapples or whatever it does. Grabs onto your ankle. We cannot get rid of this curse no matter how hard we try. And in that day, God would say, silence, chihuahua of cursing. And you will go, whoo, I'm free. God is like, Steve, cut it off, dude. (laughs) Honestly. The curse will be silenced for us. The throne of God and the Lamb will be in the city and His servants will serve Him. They will see His face and His name will be on their foreheads because night will be silenced. There will be no more night. They will need no, they will not need the light of the lamp or the light of the sun for the Lord God will give them light and they will reign forever and ever because T 
time will be silenced. I want to go. How about you? I want to go. How about you? My wife says to me, not infrequently, maybe today, maybe it's today, maybe it's today. And the only reason that we have that hope and that passion and that anxiousness, and I'm a maniac screaming up here, the only, the only way I can do that is with absolute confidence, not partial confidence, not strong confidence, but absolute confidence because we are clothed in the righteousness of Christ. Today, listen carefully. Are you clothed? I didn't ask you if you believe in Jesus. I didn't ask you if you believe in the facts. I'm asking you straight up. Are you clothed? Do you have that assurance? I am clothed with Christ. And I could walk across the threshold of heaven. I want to give you a little lap today. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do an experiment. And I want you to imagine just for a second, if not for you, perhaps you are already clothed in Christ, but for someone else, what it would feel like to feel this if we cut the lights down, the silence of darkness. Forever and ever and ever and ever. I want you to close your eyes for a minute. In darkness, there's fear. I can't imagine the horrific fear of hell. In silence, with no one else around. It's a picture that should make our soul shudder. May I ask you a question in this darkness? Are you clothed? It's the only question that was asked by the king at the wedding banquet. Not are you good enough, but are you clothed in the right clothing? Are you trying to get to heaven's shores by your own effort? And somehow you've come to a, a conclusion that your good will outweigh your bad. There is absolutely not a sniff of an indication of that from God. That's not the solution. Has pride kept you back? Have you only believed in, in Christ intellectually, mentally, or not? The walls of skepticism and pride and and logic perhaps have kept you from a very simple faith of saying, Jesus, I'm a sinner and I'm asking you to clothe me with the sacrifice of your blood, your righteousness. Are you clothed today? Let me paint another picture for you. It's the, the destination of God's intent for those who are clothed. In heaven, when we cross the threshold, mourning will be silence, death will be silence, darkness will be silence, crying will be silence, tears are silenced, 
time will be silenced. And forever and ever we will be enveloped in the sounds of worship before the Lamb of God. The sounds of those who sing holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. Worthy is the Lamb. It is a, it is a destination where God returns to Eden in an uninhibited relationship with us, not separated any longer by sin, but free of all those things. Are you clothed? Because this is the destination that God has for us. This is the destination of His heart. And it's that reason why we praise Him now and forevermore, like the psalmist said, that we lift our voice to show the world that there is a solution to the predicament that came in the Garden of Eden. And that, that predicament is Jesus Christ alone, the Lamb of God who is worthy of our worship. So I invite you to stand with me today. And I invite you to lift up your, your voice and, and join me as we greatly delight in the Lord and rejoice. He is worthy and holy. important question you'll ever answer. May I pray with you? Father, we finally pray here today for those who <clears throat> find themselves unclothed without Christ. And because of who Christ is, because of the consistency of your word, because of the singletary plan that you 
issued to the human race because you died for us visibly and came back from the dead visibly to, to, to bring truth and authenticity to your claims, God. We do not pray, God, with slight confidence or partial boldness. We pray, God, today with absolute boldness and confidence that in the power of the name of Jesus, you can break the chains of, that hold those back from believing in you. And with that, God, we join our hearts in prayer for those who have yet to believe. And we pray that today, that, that through the power of the Holy Spirit, you'll change their minds. And even during this prayer, God, I invite those who want to go to the prayer room to go back right now, even during this prayer, without any sappy music, that if you want God bad enough, like the prodigal, you'll get up from your chair and you'll walk back to that room and say, I need Christ. And during this prayer, Father, we just pray that your Holy Spirit will continue to move. And finally, God, I pray for those of us who are clothed. Help us not, God, to be reckless. God, help us not to be, God, to be clothed and keep it to ourselves how reckless that would be. Help us not to delight in you partially or apathetically, but to greatly delight in you. To come to this place jazzed, excited. To come before you in presence, in your presence, God. Overflowing and unleashed because we cannot contain it. Because we are saved, we are cleaned, we are clothed, only because you ran to our garden. And for that, God, we will worship you. In the name of Christ, our King, our Clother, amen.